In 2016, the Billy Graham Center commissioned a survey of 2,000 Americans who do not, do not actively participate in religion, what most would call the unchurched. And the survey asked these people about how they perceive Christians and Christianity. This included their view of Christianity, their willingness to talk about faith matters with Christians, even how they would respond to being invited to a church event. The data found that many unchurched Americans think highly of Christians and are open to talking about matters of faith. For example, 42% of the unchurched think that Christianity is good for society. 33% admire their Christian friends' faith. And up to 67% would be willing to attend a church event depending on the type of event. Now, Richardson says the unchurched includes a massive number of people who are open to being invited, persuaded, and connected to a local congregation. This research reveals a misconception many of us have about the unchurched. We may be overestimating the hostility of the unchurched in matters of faith. Now, true, not all unchurched people will want to talk with us, but many. Many will if your life has Christian credibility and you start the conversation. Last week, we talked about how we are blessed when we humbly live out our need for God. As disciples of Jesus, when we walk with God, we change. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, our text for today, Jesus explains the major change that occurs in the life of a disciple. And here's what it says. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says, church, you are the salt. You are the light of the world. These are emphatic statements of action, which means Jesus says it in a forceful way because he feels so strongly about it. So we should feel strongly about it. I am the salt of the earth. I am the light of the world. Now, this is significant when you remember that Jesus is talking to the crowd, not the Pharisees. Because of their role in the temple, the Pharisees believed they were the salt and the light of God. But Jesus tells the crowd, when you walk with God, you are the salt. You are the light. Besides being emphatic statements, both salt and light are images of impact. They show that disciples of Jesus are to have a preserving influence on society. I went through scripture and I just looked at the different ways that salt was used. And salt served many purposes in ancient life. And here are just a few I found. Salt was added to sacrifices as a sign of faithfulness to the covenant of God. Leviticus chapter 2, verse 13. 
Salt was used to purify things, to make them sacred. Exodus chapter 30, verse 5. Well, we're familiar with this one. Salt flavored food. Mark chapter 9, verse 50. Luke 14, verse 34. Salt was connected with peace and friendship. Mark chapter 9, verse 50. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6. But there's another use of salt that caught my attention. In the Old Testament, in Judges 9, in Jeremiah 48, in 1 Kings chapter 12, when a city was conquered by a new king, the victorious army would salt the earth of the defeated kingdom. They would take salt and they would scatter it all over the defeated city, making it difficult for crops to grow, for fields to grow grass, for cattle to graze. Without vegetation for the kingdom, it made it more difficult for the old king to return to his city that he lost in battle. Now let's take that image of a new king commanding his army to salt the earth of the city he just conquered. And let's make an application of it. I want you to imagine if every member of Blenville took the presence of God in them into Blenville North, Blenville South, into Joplin, what would happen to our neighborhoods? As God's presence goes into this neighborhood through us, as we minister to needs, be it food, encouragement, friendship, as we evangelize people to follow Jesus, as we disciple people to walk with God and join us in ministering to others, as disciples, if we salted the households of this neighborhood with Jesus, would it make a difference? Would reports of child abuse drop? Would fewer families divorce? Would drug use fall? Would suicide attempts decrease? Would neighborhoods become safer? Would addictions decrease? If Blenville Christian Church salted the earth in this neighborhood, would this neighborhood be less fertile for ungodly influences? Would it be less fertile for ungodly influences? It would. Disciples of Jesus are to be an influencing presence in the world around us. Now, besides an emphatic action to carry out, Jesus also gives a warning. Jesus tells his disciples, don't lose your saltiness. Now, scholars have struggled to understand what this means because uh, from a chemistry point of view, and I'm no chemistry scholar here, so I'm trusting others who have said this, but from a chemistry point of view, salt is very stable. In fact, the only way to, for salt to lose its flavor is by diluting it with water. So what can cause a disciple to become diluted? Losing the Christ-like flavor of their lives. Well, if we go back to verses 11 and 12 of Matthew chapter 5, we see how loyalty and devotion and service to Jesus can bring persecution, and persecution can bring compromise. That's how we lose our saltiness. We compromise. This phrase, lose its flavor, could also be translated, become foolish. So I wonder if Jesus is saying, do not become foolish by ignoring my teachings and accepting the values of the culture. 
Do not become foolish by abandoning my teachings because of the threat of persecution. Church, if we mix the saltiness of the kingdom teachings with the water of the culture, disciples of Jesus become worthless. When the teachings of Jesus are watered down, the church is no longer different from the culture. The church steps back into the old kingdom that Jesus has brought us out of. Let's look at this second image. You are the light of the world. The image of light is not new to the teachings that Jesus' audience would have heard. They were quite familiar with it from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God is described as the source of light for daily life. Psalm 119, verse 105. In Psalm 36, verse 9, it talks about how God is light. The Jews looked for the day when God would send his servant to be a light to the nations through the redemptive servanthood of God's servant. Isaiah 42, verse 6. Isaiah 49, verse 6. Romans chapter 2, verse 19. Philippians chapter 2, verse 18. Who is the servant the prophets refer to as the light of the nations? You know the answer. Jesus. John 8, 12 tells us, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light, catch this, the light of life. Now, besides Jesus being the light, there's another interesting twist here. At the time of Jesus, the Roman government saw itself as a light to the world. But here, Jesus is saying, no. No, my disciples are the light of the world, the church. The church will do what no political power has ever been able to do. The church will be a light to the nations. Now, let's stop and think about that for a moment. Is it just me? Or do we live in a dark time in American history? If the world is dark, how did it get this way? One of my favorite theologians, John Stott, he answers that question this way. If the house is dark at night, there's no sense in blaming the house. That's what happens when the sun goes down. The question to ask is, where is the light? If society becomes corrupt like a dark night, there's no sense in blaming society. That's what happens when fallen human society is left to itself and human evil is unrestrained and unchecked. The question to ask is, where is the church? End quote. Is it possible? Is it possible that the world is so dark because the church has put its light under a bowl? under a bushel. Let's keep following Jesus' image here. Why would a person light a lamp? Well, Jesus actually tells us, so we don't even have to guess. He tells us in verse 16, so one's good works will give glory to the Father. Now, the type of good works Jesus was referring to here are the visible acts of compassion to others. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, he puts it this way, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, 
they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. When the world sees the church take care of the world's broken and forgotten, the light of the kingdom of God shines brightest. Now I want to just hit the pause button for a moment. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you already know that your name is written in the book of life in heaven. The book of life is a record of the names of the citizens of the kingdom of God. And on Judgment Day, the book of life will be opened. And if your name is in the book of life, you will live in the kingdom of heaven for eternity. But here's something we often don't realize about the book of life. Besides names, the book of life also contains important information. By our names is also a record of our deeds, good and bad. In heaven, there is a writer who is recording the painful experiences of God's, God's servant, Psalm chapter 56, verse 8. He's recording the acts of love performed on behalf of others, Nehemiah 13, verse 14. This writer in heaven is recording the conversations of those who fear the Lord, Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. And this recorder of events is writing down the evil acts of the wicked, Isaiah 65, verse 6. What this tells us is God sees everything. He's watching what we do. And I want you to think of all this writing of our deeds, deeds as being the co a collection of evidence. Now, this is how this evidence will be used. This evidence won't be used to determine if a person did more good than bad in order to gain eternal life. Now, we know from Scripture, eternal life only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. But our deeds still matter. The evidence of deeds will be used to determine the level of commitment of the individual to the Lord. If you want to understand how the book of life will be used, just read 1st and 2nd Chronicles and 1st and 2nd Kings. These Old Testament books, they record the actions of the kings of Judah and Israel. And one of the comments you will see over and over again, after reading these events, you will find a judgment, a judgment on that king's commitment or lack of commitment to the Lord. Here's the point. Is there enough evidence of our good deeds towards the lost and the hurting for us to be convicted of being the light of Jesus in the world? Is there enough evidence in my life that I am serving others on behalf of Jesus for me to be convicted of being the light of Jesus in a dark world? As light, we shine brightest when we care for people that the world forgets. In fact, in our scriptures, we read about how the early church turned the world upside down. Why did the early church succeed where the modern church seems to be struggling? How were the ancient Christians able to transform the Western world in such a relatively short time? In a recent book by Phil Cook and Jonathan Bach, they asked this question, and here's what they discovered. Quote, the early church changed the world because they did things that baffled the Romans. 
The early church didn't picket. They didn't boycott. They didn't gripe about what was going on in their culture. They just did things. They did things that astonished the Romans. They took in, the Christians took in, the abandoned babies of the Romans. The Christians helped their sick and the wounded of the Roman culture. They restored dignity to the slaves. They were willing to die for what they believed. And after a while, the actions of these ordinary people who were Christian softened the hearts of the Romans. That the Romans wanted to know more about who these Christians were and who was the God that they represented. End quote. And I want you to notice without confrontation, without protest, without debate, love, love did its work. Our compassionate care for the Blendville neighborhood could be the small light that people are waiting for to keep their lives from crashing. One evening, a man was piloting a small single-engine plane around sunset, heading towards a small country airport Uh, The darkness of night came upon him faster than he had anticipated, and by the time he reached the airport, it was too dark to see the landing strip. His little plane was not equipped with navigational instruments, and no one seemed to be around the airport to turn on the runway lights. He could not see the ground, and he couldn't chance hitting a house in the darkness. Well, the pilot, in desperation, started circling the airport, And for two hours, he circled around in the darkness, burning off fuel so that when he fell from the sky, he would not explode on impact and further increase the risk to others. What happened next had to be an answer to prayer. Because someone on the ground heard the plane circling the airport and guessed what the problem was. And immediately they jumped into their car and they headed for the airport, not knowing how to switch on and how to switch on the uh, lights on the, at the airport. He settled for driving his car up and down the runway with his lights on high beam, showing the pilot the dimensions of the runway. Then he pulled his car off to one end of the runway with his headlights still beaming. And the pilot, the pilot followed those two little lights and made a safe, safe landing. What's my point? Blendville, we're a little church. We're a little light in a big, dark world. And we may think that our little light won't be much help to anyone. But the little light we shine, it may be just enough to help someone land before they run out of fuel and faith and crash and burn. All around this neighborhood are sputtering engines and eyes searching for light to give them hope. Church, we know Jesus. We know Jesus is the light of the world. But Jesus says, you, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine that people may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As we speak about Jesus to others, May our good deeds of compassion back up our words that God may be glorified through his church. Let me close using the words of Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 to 16. He writes this, 
in this crooked and perverse generation. May we shine as lights in the world as you hold forth the word of life. Go, be salt, be the light.